Good morning, everyone. Excellent. Well, it's good to be here with you. What a beautiful day the Lord has made. Yeah, he is. We have such an awesome God. I really enjoyed our study Friday where um, we talked about, like, he who glories in him glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that he exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in all the earth. And such a good encouragement to us to know that God is the Lord. He is supreme over all, and he is good and glorious. And how blessed we are to know him, to be called by his name, and to follow Jesus. Um, one announcement we do have today is following the sermon uh, around noon, there's going to be the Bible, biblical theology course that Bob's teaching in the back of the sanctuary. So if you feel free to stick around, please do, and it should be a great time of digging into God's word and, and growing in him. Uh, and we'll be in Genesis 24, starting in verse 34 this morning, if you turn in your Bibles there. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, that it truly is the word of life. And thank you that you speak to us, that you minister your truth to our hearts, to guide us, to instruct us, to correct us, to reveal to us our need to change and to reveal to us how great you are, that your ways and thoughts are higher than ours and that you are glorious and good. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We open our mouths wide that you might fill them because we are we are empty without you. We are lifeless without you and powerless to do anything. Uh, but thank you through Jesus Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us to find contentment, to find uh, rest, to find peace and uh, joy in you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored as we open your word, as we proclaim it and live it out. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. People are very interested to know God's will, especially concerning themselves and the situations around them. And God does plainly state his will in scripture. And some have, I'll say, almost a fascination or a, a determination to discover God's will in a situation to see if it's, to determine if it's his will or not. And the feeling I get is if you, if you know it's God's will, then you have to submit to it and passively, not, not gladly necessarily, but if it's not God's will, we're justified to fight against it, to oppose it strenuously. And really it can be a dangerous approach to processing and dealing with circumstances of this life because we're tempted to condemn what God has ordained. Um, the, his ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And sometimes we don't like the feeling of suffering, but Jesus suffered in, according to the will of God. And so this is a great challenge for us. And it's better to surrender and to take action according to the will of God as he's revealed to us than to just point out everything in the world that's not his will. We should do his will. We should know God and his will. And that's really the first thing is knowing God. Then you begin to understand and know him. And just knowing something, it doesn't mean we'll do anything about it. You can know you have emphysema and still continue to smoke. You can know the speed limit is 60, but you still go 75, accidentally or on purpose. And Jesus has given us an example, not just to be content with knowing God's will, but choosing to do God's will. Where he said 
in John 5.30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus lived in a body of flesh. He had the freedom to make the choice of how he would live, what he would do, if he would submit and obey the Father or not. And he chose to submit his will to the Father. He says, I'm not seeking my own will. I seek to do the will of my Father. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. And that, that is really prompts us to take steps of faith and obedience to him when we don't feel like it. But we know that this is what's right, that we should love one another as he loves us. And this will that we have, it's, it's part of every human being. It's formed by our beliefs our thoughts, our feelings, and our thoughts will impact our decisions. Our thoughts can impact our feelings. And once we're born again, God begins to challenge sinful ways of thinking, and he, he desires to change us, where we move away from selfishness and pride and ambition for ourselves and seek to do his will rather than ours. One admirable quality we see in Abraham's servant that we've been discussing over the past week is how he submitted to his master Abraham's will to go to Mesopotamia to find a wife for his son Isaac. In faith, he prayed. God answered while he's still speaking. Remember, he arrived at the, the city, Paddan Aram. And while he's praying in his heart, Rebekah comes to the well. And then she offers to water his camels as well. And that was the answer that he, he asked that God would say, show me the woman that you have for my master's son, the one that you have um, appointed for him when she asks me to water the camels. Then uh, he explains to her what's happened. She talks to her family. He's brought before them. They extend hospitality to them. And then before eating, he's like, I have to tell you why I'm here. And that's where we're at in this passage uh, in Genesis 24, 34. And he, he takes the opportunity to point out God's hand in directing him and guiding him. His interactions with God personally and how God revealed the truth to him. And then he's just proclaiming it to the family. Starting in Genesis 24, verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. Abraham's servant, he rehearses in the ears of um, Abraham's family, the, the descendants of Nahor, Abraham's brother, why he was there. He wasn't there to be wined and dined. He was there to bring home a wife from his family for Abraham's son, Isaac. And the Lord God, the creator of heaven and earth, he blessed Abraham. He made him great. He caused him to prosper. He led him to that land of Canaan. 
He was held in high esteem, and unlike Nahor, who had grandchildren by now, uh, Abraham only had a son, Isaac, in his old age. And to that one heir, he had given all that he had. His heritage was greater than just monetary wealth because he knew the Lord and followed him. And those who fear the Lord really have all. And that's a, a glorious truth. And so Abraham's like, swear to me that you will not take a, a wife for my son from the Canaanites, but go to my father's house and from there get a wife for my son. And he's totally confident that God would go before him. God would help him to know where to go and the right woman that he should bring back. And if he came to his family and they refused to go, then he would be released from that oath. He wouldn't be bound by it anymore. This faith in God, Abraham's faith in God, it, it showed the provision of a wife for his son as God's business. He wasn't meddling with it. He wasn't like, I need to go. It's, you've heard that phrase, like, if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. Well, he delegates this authority to his servant that he entrusts with this task. But really, he trusts God. He trusts that God is going to lead him. He's going to pro provide the wife for his son. And uh, he'll give you wisdom and guidance. You go. And he leaves it on him, on God, because God does what's right. Without him, we can do nothing. Abraham realized he wasn't always right. He gave room for God's will to be done without him meddling with things. But he took that action in faith. Go, God's going to provide direction and this wife for my son. Verse 42, and, to this, and this day I came to the well and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. And then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, Tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Abraham's servant, he explains how he arrived at their city, how he knelt, how the camels were by the well, and he prayed to God. He said, God, show me the woman that you would have for my master's son. I'll ask someone for a drink. I'll ask her for a drink. I'll take the initiative and ask. But if she volunteers to water my camels which would have taken a long time and a lot of water. We went over how much that would have taken. Some uh, over a thousand um, liters of water hauled up from the well, voluntarily doing that. And not many people are going to do that. So he's like, this is going to be the one who, who volunteers. And it says, we learn here that he wasn't even speaking out loud. He was just speaking in his heart. He was speaking in his mind to God, and while he's thinking this over, while he's praying to God in his heart, God 
brings Rebecca. He sees her. He runs over to her. She offers to water the camels, revealed to be the son of Bethuel, the son of Nahor. And so he bows his head and he worships. Like he doesn't omit anything about God in the story. He, he brings God into the middle of the story, saying, you know, I was, God led me here. I prayed to God. God answered my prayer. And then I bowed and worshiped God who had brought all this to pass because it was his plan to find the bride that was appointed for him, for Isaac. And he says, God did not mislead Abraham. He has not misled me. And I don't want to mislead you. So this is why I came. And if you're not interested, if you're not pleased with this arrangement, be clear with me. Let me know. I love this situation, how it illustrates God's sovereignty and the freedom that God's given people to choose to obey him or not, to trust him or to choose their own way. Abraham directed his servant to go. The servant agreed to swear an oath and he went. He went all that a thousand plus Ks, navigated it carefully, arrived. And then when he had the sign confirmed, he, he takes it as an answer to prayer. And he's like, yep, she is the one. And he puts the nose ring on her. I'm like, I want to see what that looked like. You know, the nose ring on. Because I think of a nose ring being in. Connected somehow? Anyway, I have to look into that later. But he seizes upon the opportunity to speak of his errand. That this is the woman that God has chosen. He's putting all the facts of the case right there. He's not holding anything back about how God had directed him there, how God had prospered him. And now it was for them to decide if they would submit to God or not. If they would believe what God had said or not. And they had, this idea had not entered into their mind that their, their daughter that they had sent out to go get water, she had voluntarily gone out to get water, that she would come back potentially being betrothed on the day to be married to someone she had never met before. That's pretty wild, right? That's a big shock to a parent, I think, and to, to the prospective bride. Like Abraham, he doesn't guilt them. He doesn't bribe them. He's not threatening them in any way. He holds forth the truth of what God had done, how he had prayed, how God had answered. He, he made this clear to everyone present. And the success in the matter, it did not depend upon him or them, but really on God who moves the hearts and minds of men. His dependence is on God in this whole situation. When, when we realize that it's God's work to proclaim his truth, and we get to have a part in that, in sharing the gospel with others and living out the good news, it changes for us when we understand it's him doing it. And it's not just the wis our wisdom or our knowledge that helps other people to come to faith in Christ. We're called to give an answer for the hope that is in us. We're called to be disciples of Christ and leading others to follow Christ too. But when you've humbly presented the facts of the gospel and someone does not respond to it, they choose to ignore it or contradict it, it does not mean that you are a failure a lot of times we, we put rightly a lot of weight on the things we say and how we say them. And when people do not respond positively to the gospel or the, the scriptures, we can blame ourselves for their unbelief and unwillingness to submit to God. 
And so then we beat ourselves up about it. We assume we must have said the wrong thing. I must have said it in the wrong way because they haven't responded in the right way. When it really has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with trusting God and believing him that his word will not go out void and that we have been obedient to the thing he's told us. We've been faithful. Let's put our faith in God to accomplish his will. We know it's his will that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Therefore, we speak forth this message of salvation boldly to everyone. And we live in light of that, the gospel, that God wants to redeem lost sinners. He wants them to be found. He wants them to come to the truth. And if they have not come yet, no, it's still God's will to bring them, to speak to them, to draw them to themselves, to himself so they can be forgiven, so they can experience the new life he has for them, to be united with him in relationship forever. Genesis 24, verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing comes, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Laban and Bethuel say this thing comes from the Lord. Abraham came to know the Lord because God revealed himself to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And I'm sure that before he left the family and he left the business and he left their inheritance and lands, he told them why. He told them about the God who had revealed himself to him and that he was to go to the land God would show him. He didn't know he was going to Canaan. He didn't know where he was going to end up, but he believed God and he accounted it to him as righteousness. Laban and Bethuel, they did not claim to know God or to follow God, but they acknowledged based upon the evidence and facts presented, this thing comes from the Lord. So we can't really say anything good or bad about it. It wasn't our idea. Uh, They were unable and unwilling to speak against what God had clearly orchestrated. Uh, based upon the facts. All that mattered was now how they chose to respond to this revelation to them, that Rachel was the one appointed to be the wife of Isaac. And they decided to submit to God. They said, here's Rebecca, take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And Abraham's servant hears that and he bows in worship before the Lord. And it's, it's a fair question. How can we know when something comes from the Lord. You'd, you'd want to know that, right? Like, this is of the Lord. What's good, unexpected, something we see as bad, to know it's from him. Because knowing it's from him will impact how we respond to it, right? A lot of people connect things from the Lord with having a peace about it. I've heard that phrase many times. Translation, how they feel about it. If they feel okay about it. Really, it can be a poor way to determine anything. I like what Dallas Willard wrote. He said, feelings live on the front row of our lives like unruly children clamoring for attention. They presume on their justification in being whatever they are, unlike a thought which by nature is open to challenge and invites the question, why? 
sometimes we don't think about, why am I feeling this way? It's, it would be foolish for us to rely upon our feelings as the primary way of knowing if something is from God or not. Right? It's ironic, right? Knowing something and like, I know it's true because I feel like it's true. I know that my feelings are, they are not a good guide sometimes. Like for instance, our dryer has this error code on it. And it's like, all right, it's in warranty. I know it's in warranty. I know we can get it fixed. I don't feel like calling. I don't feel like going through the process. I really don't want to do it. But it's something that I know I should do. It's the right thing to do. And so therefore, I am going to do it despite how I feel about it. So see how thoughts can overrule how you feel? But sometimes when it comes to the will of God and knowing if something's from God, we, we do the opposite. We, we feel a certain way, so obviously it's not from God. Well, that's how the disciples felt when Jesus went to the cross. That's how they felt when he was butchered and put in a tomb and sealed up. They didn't feel good about that at all. But the revelation was in God's word, in the Psalms, the prophets, and in Moses concerning me, Jesus unpacked that for them and said, this was God's plan from the beginning. A plan that you didn't know or, or understand yet. That he, through my death and resurrection, would draw all people to himself. That he would give a way of atonement and salvation for all sinners. God's ways and his thoughts are so far above us. And that means that God chooses ways that we could not think or imagine. Like he could bring life out of death. Why wouldn't he just prevent death? No, it was through death that life came. God orchestrates events seamlessly that we could not and could not manipulate or even imagine to put into place. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Like God responds to prayer. He answers prayer. He reveals his truth in his word. He, he makes it clear when we seek him, what is of him. Our feelings can be like unruly children, but our Heavenly Father is able to bring them in line with his word. And they're very helpful. They're very good for us to have these feelings because as we'll see with Rebecca, it was feeling bad during a pregnancy that helped her to seek the Lord and guidance from him who instructed her on how to respond to that. The testimony of Abraham's faithful servant and Rebecca, they affirm the truth. So it's like, the servant is saying all this stuff happened, and they're like, well, did you say that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Of course you did. And so they had the, the testimony of Abraham's servant, God's orchestrating the events, and they said, well, this thing is from the Lord. I can't speak against it. It's clear. You believe it. She believes it. We're going to submit to it in faith. Genesis 24, 54. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning. And he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. 
Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. They agreed to give her, as merit, give her as wife to Isaac. There's these gifts exchanged. They share a meal. They spend the night. And then they're like, send me back. The servant wants to go. He wants the, really the whole uh, task consummated by their safe return to Canaan. Like give the good message that, hey, we have succeeded in finding a bride and to see them united together. And, and I like that the servant didn't just sneak away at first morning light. He's getting permission from the family. He's not, he's not doing anything untoward or forcing the situation at all. He gets permission. The timing of the marriage had not been discussed. As you know, when it comes to weddings and marriages, timing is pretty important that you discuss those things. And uh, Rebecca's brother and mother, they're great. They're like, let, us, let her stay a few days, at least 10. Let's see, a few days, to quickly 10. It's like, they are not in a hurry for her to go anywhere. They, they want her to just hang out pretty much indefinitely until they decide that it's time. I, I can't blame them. Even if you know something's come from the Lord, it doesn't mean that you're comfortable with it. It doesn't mean it's easy to go along with it, to take that step of faith. It's going to take you outside your comfort zone because this is a step that you would not take on your own. It's a step only taken because you're trusting in God to uphold you and guide and support you. Like you can't make that step unless you're trusting someone. And if it's in God, he will enable you to press on. The servant did not want to delay, so they defer to Rebecca. Let's ask her. Let's ask her, and rightly so. Will you go with this man? No, notice they don't say, you know, after you've hung out for a while, at least 10 days or two months or a year, Will you go? They just say, will you go with this man? No timing at all. And in doing so, it's like they gave her an opportunity to back out of the whole thing. She could say, I'm not really comfortable with that or no. But she says, I will go. Wow. Awesome. She had not forgotten the thing was of the Lord. She submitted to that. She was convinced that the Lord had led Abraham's servant all that way that she had been confirmed to be the woman because of the sign of asking to water the camels, that their meeting was orchestrated by God, and she was willing to go. So she was not just willing to go, but she's like, I'm going to go. I will go. And there's a difference between being willing to do something and actually willing it, right? Because you think, I'm willing, but there's reasons that keep us from doing the thing we're willing to do. We haven't really been persuaded it's not really the right time. We're willing, theoretically, but not having the will to go. But she has the will. She's like, I will go. My mind is made up. I am doing this thing that I said I would do. And then she went. And I'm sure that that confirmation was just sweet music to his ears. Like, good. She's gonna go. She didn't just say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll be married and I'll take those gifts and Ah, uh, it's some other time. No, but she's like, I'm going right now. 
willingness to take a step of faith into the unknown by faith in God. She's described as a very beautiful woman. I think her willingness to submit to God with the little she knew of him was more lovely still. We don't need to know everything about God to know, to fear, and love him with all our being. Praise the Lord for that. See a couple other women in scripture who demonstrated resolve in faith in God. I think of Ruth, where she left Moab and her family's house to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi in Ruth 1.16. She said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. I don't know what she was feeling then. But the Bible tells us that her heart and her mind was made up. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, she noticed it. It says when she saw that she had made up her mind, there's no reason to even talk to her anymore because she was going to go. She was going to follow through. And may there be in us that sort of resolve in following Jesus and obeying him. When Mordecai told Esther of the decree that would bring the annihilation of the Jewish people, she reminded him, you know, it's illegal for me to, I may be the queen, but if I go before the king without being announced or, or invited, and he hasn't spoken to me over these last 30 days, the penalty is death, full stop. The only way that my life will be spared is if he holds forth the golden scepter to me. So I'm dead if I do what you're asking me. And he says, who knows if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther 4, 15 and 16, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I'm sure Esther did not feel like going. She was not looking forward to going, but this is something that God had called her to do. He put her in a position to do this, and he put in her heart a willingness to do this and a determination to go before the king, trusting in God that he would preserve her. And even if she perished, she was still going to do it because she was convinced this thing was of the Lord. Jesus, he went to Jerusalem because it was the Father's will. He set his face like a flint to go to the cross. He knew what awaited him there, that he would suffer crucifixion and death. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he didn't just say, I'm okay with your will, but he did God's will. He went through with it. He went all the way, submitting to God in practice. And that's the will of God in all circumstances, that we would trust and obey him. And if, we're not, if we leave those undone, we should not expect that we can do God's will in our flesh. So Rebecca, she affirms her decision to go, and they agreed. They sent her on her way. It wasn't like they, they were just bluffing, like, oh, we'll ask her. Oh, but it's our tradition that we cannot let anyone go until something happens. They just said, okay, we agree. Thing is of the Lord. And they blessed her. They said, our sister may become mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. And this saying, it so shows God's sovereign hand at work over people who don't know the Lord, who we know later, Laban had many idols in his household, that they did not fear the Lord. They really didn't know the Lord like Abraham did. 
And yet this blessing that they utter over her, it dovetails beautifully with the blessing that God spoke over Isaac and Abraham. If you turn your Bibles back a couple pages, Genesis 22, 15 and six through 17. So remember God, he calls Abraham to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering, right? They go on this trek. He sees the place. He brings the wood, the knife, the, the sacrifice, his son. He puts the firewood on him. He sets up the altar. He, he lays his hand upon the knife to slay his son, who was a willing participant in this because God had commanded it. And God stopped him. And then God said this in Genesis 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and of, as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. It's very, very similar, isn't it? And you have these heathen people bringing real blessing, blessing from God. Rebecca's mother and Laban, they're speaking in agreement with God, unwittingly, not knowing what God had said concerning Abraham and Isaac. I think of the children shouting Hosanna to Jesus in the temple, and he asks the, ask those who were offended, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? It's like, haven't you heard that God's able to find praise? Well, he's able to find blessing too from anything that he wants because he is God and he moves the hearts of men as he will. How confident we can be of God and his word. So it's like this woman, a day after, she's just going out to the well for a drink to water the camels. The next day she's riding on one, going back to Canaan to marry Isaac, whom she had never met. I think this puts my faith, this puts our faith to shame at times, doesn't it? We can, we can balk at the commitment of a few hours. And here she's making a lifetime commitment to go a place where she's never been, to marry someone she's never seen, because she's trusting God. Awesome. She went, she was blessed for it. And we're also blessed to walk by faith in God. Genesis 24, 62. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. For she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac comes from the well named by Hagar, the well of the living one who sees me. She was the one who named that. And Isaac is meditating in the field and what the Bible means by meditation is different than New Age teachings or Eastern mysticism, what's commonly meant by meditation. Usually today when you hear that phrase, it's about emptying yourself or relaxing, calming, um, chanting, you're focusing on a candle or breathing. It's really self-focused. 
Uh, it's totally different from biblical meditation, which is focusing on God and his word, what he has said. It's not seeking emptiness. It's filling ourselves with thoughts of God, desiring to be filled with the spirit of God, knowing that he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's acknowledgement of our emptiness already and our need for filling, our need for his wisdom and focusing on him and what he said to receive from him. So instead of being drunk with wine, to be filled with the Spirit. It's not seeking emptiness, it's seeking the Lord to be filled by him. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who meditates in the law of the Lord day and night, that he'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water, flourishing, fruitful, leaf not withering, whatever God uh, doing through him, prospering. So meditation, it's not just analysis. It really is desire and intent to practice what God has said, communing with him, fellowship with him. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 4, 6 through 8. We read about things to meditate upon, things to consider and to fill our minds with because it's possible to be filling our minds. Well, the world is very happy to put plenty of images and thoughts and ideas in our minds. And God would have us put those away and instead receive his truth. There's so much that naturally comes out of us, right? Jesus said that sin comes from within. It's not just outside that defiles you. We're defiled from within. Because out of the heart of man comes adulteries and fornications and cursing and hatred. That comes from inside. It's like things in the world can draw it out of us, stir us up. But we have to deal with the heart of the matter. So Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When I th see that list, I'm like, who is better fitting of those than Christ, Jesus? True, the way, the truth, the life, noble, the king of kings, Lord of lords, just, the king of all the earth who will do right, pure, holy, lovely, wonderful, praiseworthy. Like everything there is talking of Christ. He is worthy of praise rather than justifying being anxious or worried, disappointed, or bitter. And I'm sure that Abraham did not keep it a secret what he was sending his servant to do, that he was sending, uh, he's like, I think Naomi, she talked to Ruth as well, said, you know, should I not seek joy for you in uh, finding you a husband? Uh, you know, go to Boaz. It's good that you're meeting with him and Basically, ask him to redeem you. Ask him for marriage. And in this case, Abraham, he spoke to the servant and sent him on his way. And Isaac, he's praying. He's meditating. He's considering the Lord. And I, th I think the, the parallel is really neat. Like the servant is by the well praying to God. God brings Rebekah to him. He's out. Isaac is now out in the field. He's meditating. He's praying. He lifts his eyes. He's looking. And behold, the camels are coming. Right? And on one of them is his future bride. 
And it seems she's looking too, because she sees him at a, as a distance, dismounts the camel, and says, who is this man coming towards us? Oh, it's my master. So she veiled herself, which was a sign of um, modesty, reverence, and subjection. So the servant, he meets up with Isaac. He rehearses everything that happened. I'm sure it was a very detailed report because you, we've, it's like we had to read it twice because he, he, we read the story, right? And then he rehearses everything in great detail and now he's doing it again. So we don't get a third round, but if you forget, you can always refer to the previous two. And, uh, and you know that God was front and center of everything he was saying. You know, I was praying, God answered. He brought her right at that time. And then I went to the family and they heard and they said, yes, this thing is from the Lord. And then she was asked the next day, are you willing to go? I will go. And here she is. And Isaac's like, right on. And he brought her into his mother's tent. He now exercises faith in receiving her, choosing her to be his wife. Because it was God's appointment. God had chosen her. It says he took Rebecca, she became his wife, and he loved her. Now love, it's a choice we make, and we ought to keep making in obedience to Christ who first loved us. And in our culture, we expect or, or assume that love comes before marriage, right? But our text shows that love can bloom in marriage. We say marry the one you love. It's also true. We should love the one we are married to. Keep loving them. By faith in God, Isaac rejoiced to marry and love Rebekah, and he was comforted. For those curious about God's will, there's one thing that we see repeated over and over in Scripture. That is to love one another. God's will in some matters, we can look at this situation or this war or this strife or conflict and say, is that God's will? It may not be immediately clear to us, but we're called to do the will of God that he has already revealed to us, following Christ's example. Now, I have some quick-hitting verses here. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We see that love seizes opportunities to serve, as Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it's love that's to motivate us to service. And the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts, it's not just for believers, for but all people, as we read in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So we who have been born again by faith in Christ, we, have, we who have been united with him, even as a bride to a husband, um, we are enabled to love God and to serve one another. It's like God's brought uh, Isaac and Rebekah together in marriage. By his grace, he has opened a door of righteousness that we, a gate of righteousness that we enter to know God and to love him. And Jesus does more than possess the gate of his enemies, but he opens the gate of righteousness, which is himself, to all people by faith in him. And the doors he shuts, none can open. The doors he opens, none can shut. And may we have that heart of the psalmist in Psalm 118, 19. It says, 
Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. You know, every day you have opportunities to go through the gate of righteousness, faith in Christ and seeking to do righteously. To say, I am willing to do righteousness or will you? It's a difference. Will you choose righteousness? Will you choose faith in Jesus? Will you keep choosing him? Will you keep loving him? And at a point, our willpower fails. And that is a a sign that we need to rely upon him and trust him. And to say, Lord, it's you who works in me both to will and do your good pleasure. So this desire to follow you, you've put that there and help me to trust you and to keep following you. God has overcome every enemy, including death. He's made a new and living way for us to come to God. And let's have that willing and obedient heart to go in faith, to love, to serve one another according to his word, to choose righteousness when you have options placed before you. Praise God we have a savior, that we are the ones who are sought out. We are the ones he has chosen. And so as as his chosen, let us submit to him. Let us come to him and be comforted by him who's joined us to himself, who's worthy of all honor. I mean, what a great encouragement and exhortation this passage is to us that we would be willing and, and do what God has said. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your, just your power to save, for your empowerment to live righteously, and for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the, this relationship that we have with you through faith in him. And thank you for bringing comfort and help, light and life into our hearts, for giving us a, not just a, a temporary benefit, but an eternal, glorious future in your presence through faith in Christ, through the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to be like that servant who humbly did the will of his master Abraham, who glorified you, who proclaimed you, who held forth the truth of your involvement in his life. And thank you for the response that we see in Laban and uh, in Rebecca to go. And those other examples in scripture, Lord, I pray you would make us like them, those who trust you and are willing to, to put aside how we feel at times, to remember what you have said, to meditate upon that, and to walk in obedience um, by the strength you provide us daily. And just, Lord, I pray that you would, you would minister your truth to our hearts and help us to receive it. Help it to change the way we think, the way we live, that we would not be held captive by sins, by, by bad feelings um, that, that bring us down, but we would be uh, lifted up with, with eyes of faith, with the heart of thanksgiving, and the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. We thank you, Lord, for calling us and helping us and joining us to yourself. And thank you for the future that we have and the hope which no one can take from us. In Jesus' name, amen.